testimony and that's exactly what I'm going to give you tonight I'm going to tell you how this 69 year old grandpa became pastor of revive it didn't happen overnight in fact I regret that probably if I would have followed the leading of the Lord I should have started it 30 years ago or if not longer because now that I look back over my life I see places in my life where God was, was troubling me and, and things that he wanted me to do. So I'm going to give you a word of, you know, in, Re, in Revive, a big part of what we do is we ask people, would you like to give us your testimony? I'm so proud of this young man right here on this front pew. My, my. <laughs> Ten months sober. Ten months. Ten months. You know, my nephew, Brett, he's like another son to me. And I, I know that the recovery ministry really goes all the way back. It starts in him because he, he meant so much to me. And it hurt so bad to see him suffer the way that he suffered. And uh, to hear him tell me, as bad as you want me to be out of drugs, I want it ten times more. But he said, you have no idea what we're battling. No, I really don't. Because, thank God, I was, I was never part of that. But that doesn't make me a better person. I, does, I, I say that all the time, just because I've never known what it is to shoot something into my, a needle into my vein, or, or to pop pills, or to sh whatever they do, smoke. That doesn't make me a better person. It makes me more blessed, but not a better person. I've been asked a question by, uh, it's, it's these refined. Let's pray. Lord, I love you tonight. I'm thankful for you. We ask you to bless this word tonight. God, be a part of us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. But anyway, in Revive, we, we'll ask people to come in and uh, give their testimony, if they will. And uh, I've learned to be careful with that and make sure they know what a clock is. And uh, one night in Revive, we got to be 9 o'clock, and the speaker had about four or five more composition books to go through. <laughs> and I sent the music to the platform, and I'm saying, play. <laughs> and the mama was saying, don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> but anyway, 
we, but testimonies in the right, given in the right, and I have to say that Brother Josh gave his testimony about six, eight weeks ago to us, an astounding word of God. Brother William Hightower spoke to us this past Thursday night. Man, it was just, it was just profound what he had to say. But I've been asked, why in the world this ministry? Why are you in it? I want to tell you too today, Brett is 138 days sober today. Every day I keep track of where he's at, and I thank God every day because I see that we are clearing the hurdles. We're clearing the hurdles. One reason that I am so involved in Revive is that the numbers are astounding of what we're up against in the drug culture today. In the 1980s, we averaged one person per 100,000 in our population died of drug addiction or drug overdose. Through the 80s, it averaged about one in 100,000 people died of a drug overdose. Last year, that number hit 33. In the four years of World War II, military combat deaths for the United States was 292,000 men and women. Last four years, 2018 through 2021, 336,000 people have died of drug overdose. Last year alone, was 107,000 overdose deaths. The year before that was 92,000. And the number with the advent of four years ago with the advent of fentanyl into the drug culture, this thing is blowing completely up. We are on track right now to hit 125,000 ODs this year. That's going to put us at about 44 or 45 per 100. See, you can see what we're up against. We're actually dealing with eternity here. We're dealing with people who are searching for a way out. And they, they feel trapped. And on Thursday night, we have an opportunity to open, offer them the door at which Jesus knocks. I wish I could kick that door in and just drag Jesus up in there with them. But he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you will get up and open the door, I will come in and sup with you and you with me. So that's all we do on Thursday night is we try to convince a trapped segment of our society that Jesus is knocking at your door. And it would benefit you to get up and open the door. Amen. 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 I think when I look back over my life, God started preparing me for this type of ministry as far back as age 16. I went to a youth rally we used to have youth rallies once a month 
and we went to those things religiously. We'd all get together in two, three, four cars and a group of 15, 20, 25 of us young people. We would go off to the youth rally. And this youth rally was, was over at the first church in, in Baton Rouge on Victoria Drive then. It's on, uh, I think, think Jones Creek now. And, uh, but it, back then it was on Victoria Drive and Brother Dan Rigdon, uh, well, Brother Rigdon, I forget which one of them it was, was pastor there. We went to a youth rally. And the young man, I don't remember his name, but the young evangelist that preached to us that night, I was 16 years old, he preached a sermon. Can you love Gomer? Comes out of the book of Hosea, where God told Hosea to take a wife, a harlot for a wife. He said, I have a message I want to give you to give to the people of Israel, but I want you to know how I feel when you give this message because Israel has played the harlot with me and I want you to know how I feel so I want you to go and marry a harlot and he married Gomer Gomer was a harlot he married her and he had children with her and by the time that he had their third child was born that name of that child interpreted out of Hebrew into English means not my people which means that child was not his she had gone back to her harlot ways, and she left him shortly after that and did the whole story. But that, that sermon has been with me all through these years. Can you love Gomer? You know, Jesus in, in, in Luke 6, I didn't give you this scripture, sister. In Luke 6, he said, if you love only those who love you and do good only to those who do good to you, wherein are you better than the sinner? I'm going to tell you, we have a fabulous, uh, and I, I'm not exaggerating, we have a fabulous church here. But it's a short trip from great church to just a good social gathering. A good church realizes, and we do here, and this church, that's why that I think that we found such a great fit for Revive. This church realizes that we are at war. Moses said, our God is a man of war. And a lot of things that we do, we play ball, and some guys play golf, and we eat breakfast on Saturday morning. That's R&R. Rest and relaxation. It's, we get together. It's great to get together with our friends and, our, and the guys we go to church with. I really, all those things are needed and necessary. But remember, when it's all over, said, and done, if it's just about what we do as recreation, then we have missed the point. Because somewhere we have got to get in the trenches and we have to hold the line. And another day we have to get out of the trench and rush the enemy because we are at war. We're not at war with each other. Now, there's a scripture that says that the word of the Lord is sharp as a two-edged sword and it severs between the bone and the... You know the scripture I'm talking about. 
Well, I've known good Christians would pack that blade around and couldn't wait to find another Christian to, to wrap them with it. Shoo! It's not meant for that, brother. And listen, I know where your appendix is at. And Jeff's got a little pocket knife, pocket knife in his pocket back there. And if you wanted me to, I could take your appendix out. You might not live through it, but I could get your appendix. That's the way the word is. Hey, when you come up against the devil, you drag out the biggest blade you got and go aboard him. When you go down to the gates of hell, you take your sword with you and you kick the door in and you reach in and you drag out your loved one. Listen, like no other ministry, we're doing it in revive. You want those folks to feel welcome when they get there. Last Thursday night, I was a little late getting here, and I jumped out of the car and was headed in, and I followed three new faces, men, young men, probably in their early 20s. And one of them got in between the other two, and he told them, I'm going to walk in between you two so they don't see what I look like. Mm. I couldn't wait to catch up with him. Hugged his neck, told him how much we enjoyed the fact that he was with us. He was welcome. Come like you are. Come like you are. The, the very last night that I was ever a camper was youth camp 1970 on Friday night. I know. <laughs> Brother A.D. Spears was preaching youth camp that year. Friday night, 1970 camp, and he preached James 2.13. Mercy rejoices against judgment. For he shall have judgment without mercy, those who have no mercy. And mercy rejoices against judgment. Brother A.D. Spears poured something into my heart that night that has lived with me all of my life. Mercy first. I don't care what happens. God is merciful. And he expects me as a representative of him, to be merciful. It was an astounding sermon, and it I visit it still because it did something for me. Matthew 7 and 1, when Jesus said, Judge not that ye... And listen, I'm not saying anybody here is doing it. I'm just telling you. I, I operate in a world a lot bigger than, than this church, and I deal with people outside this church, and... And they're very, very judgmental of the, addicted, of the addicted culture. And Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. Now, he did not put any qualifiers on that or exceptions. He didn't say, judge not that you be not judged except for the addicted. In John, and I don't have this in there either, sister. In John 14, he said, In the world you're going to have tribulation, 
But do not, do not be afraid of this because I have overcome the world for you. No qualifiers there, no exceptions. He didn't say, I have overcome the world for you, except you addicted folks. When you learn that, you can function freely in revive. Amen, amen, amen. 1972, I married a woman who loved people. Mom was a people person. And she, she loved people and she really loved the underdog. When we first started a recovery mission in Albany, we had a guy, he's with us on occasion, Ken Williams. Ken Williams is a big old guy, and I'm actually kin to the boy three or four generations out. And uh, he would, we would pick him up and take him to our little recovery group there. And when we would get in the car going home at night, she would say, buy that boy something to eat. Now, Ken was my size, and he didn't miss many meals. And he would tell you that. But uh, she would say, buy that boy something to eat. And I would get him a cheeseburger on the way home. And, and she was that way. The la- she used to cook for Upper Room. The last meal she cooked for Upper Room was the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving week. Not, pardon me, the Friday night before Thanksgiving week. And she cooked her Italian meat spaghetti meat sauce. And we put that sauce on at 9 o'clock on Thursday night. And it simmered until noon on Friday. And I remember the, the reaction of our little group that night. And I sent some of it home to Angie's dad, Floyd Hutchison. Anybody here know Floyd Hutchison? Floyd's not the most easily person you'll ever influence in your life. But he sent me word that's probably the best spaghetti I've ever had. When we started recovery, man, look, you know, I, oh man, I got a college degree, and I got to get out here and read up on this stuff. And I was reading, brother, brother, no, I was reading everything I could read. I was just read, 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 and man, do this, do this, do this, and I was, I was dumb as dirt. My wife's technique to upper room until that recovery was simply, she would hug them, I love you. If one of them failed. She would go to him, just start over, baby. And her technique was greater than mine. I learned from that. Just love them. You know, Paul said, we teach in meekness that, we, that they might recover themselves. If I could recover them, I would recover every last one of them every Thursday night. But all we can do, Paul said, is teach them and show them that they might recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who takes them at his will. Had a good wife, and she helped me in getting this off the ground. Brother C.M. Beckton, in a morning Bible study at camp meeting in 1982, He preached a message, you must not go back. He took his message from Genesis 24, 6 and 8. And Abraham said unto him, beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. And then he repeated that to his servant. 
And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. One of the hardest things with the recovering addict is once they begin their recovery is to keep them from going back because the draw of what they come out of is so terribly strong. You must not, and I teach it all the time, you cannot go back. And Brother Beckton's message was, if you go back, you will revert to the type that you were. I still listen to that message on occasion. Brother Alan Oggs, 1995, at the Baton Rouge Centriplex, preached me a message at a crusade. And he said, the title of his message was, Some Have Come From Far. He took his text out of Mark 8, 2, and 3. I have compassion, this is Jesus speaking, I have compassion on the multitude because they now have been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way. For divers of them have come from far. And we have to understand when we're dealing with the addicted culture or people who are trapped in addiction, they are coming from a whole lot further away than some of us have had to go. I taught Pentecostal young people for better part of 40 years every Sunday morning. I taught these Jehus back here. <laughs> Did my best. About five or six years ago, I got weary of just teaching people who were raised under the pew. They need to be taught. I, I, they need to be in church, and they need to hear it too. But I began to pray, God, I want to, I, want to, I want to offer what I have to offer to somebody who is desperate to get it. I prayed about that for several months. And God, I, I'll, I'll go if it's, hey, I'll go to a mission. I'll do whatever. You know, you think that God's going to lead you somewhere. And uh, it's going to be way yonder somewhere. And I walked into my sister Patty's house one night, and Angie and Blake Ziegler were there. Patty was good friends with Angie. I knew Angie. I'm actually kin to her, too. And I didn't know Blake, but he was there. Blake Ziegler walked up to me, and he said, Mr. Ralph, are you, you Mr. Patty's brother? And I said, yes, I am. He said, I need to talk to you. He said, I'm trying to get away from a very dark place. And I'm told you the guy that we need to talk to. Now, hey, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just telling you, if you go looking for sinners, if you go looking for the lost, God's going to send them in your way. He's going to send them to you. If you want to save a soul, you start praying for souls. And God will see that they come to see you. And that was the beginning of a Bible study. And it was strange. You know, I'm thinking, of God, I'll go. I'll just go wherever you send me. I'm willing to go. And I can walk to the back of my property and look across the road and see their front door. You never know who lives next door to you if you're not out there working your field. 
Jesus said, you be careful because some are coming from far. I had a man ask me not too long ago, and he knew that I was in this ministry, and he said, um, what's the return on this ministry? Hmm? What's the return? I mean, this is not Bernie Madoff or, or the stock market. If, if you're looking for returns, you, you and you, you're looking for Charlie Schwab or whatever his name is. Is that his name? Char- is that <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> What's the return? Let me tell you what the return on this ministry is. And the shepherd took the sheep and put them in the fold for the night. And he counted them. And one was missing. And he said, I'm going to find that one lost sheep. The one meant as much to him as the 99. Not that he didn't care for the 99, but the one. Now, the hireling, if you're doing this as a hireling, 1% to to score 99%, that's a pretty good score. I took 100 out, and I got 99 back, and I tried to get that lost sheep to come, and I called for him, and he didn't come. Let him spend the night on the mountain. But if you're going to find a soul, the one has to mean as much to you as the 99. And let me tell you something about that, something else about that story. You know, we, we tell that, and, and he went out, and he, he got the lost sheep, and he brought it back. But the language is a little different than that. It says, and he goeth into the mountain, and if he find it. He didn't say he went out there and he just found it. There's a high probability he may not find it. Because when darkness falls, the wolves and the bears and and the, the animals that prey upon the sheep and the lost sheep, probably not knowing, is out there blading and not knowing that just the blading is summoning those who will devour it. There's no guarantee when you... And I caution Revive members all the time that if you go back, God's going to come looking for you. But there's a chance there. He said, if you find it, not if he does find it. I had a man ask me in the church, does the church really need this? You're bringing an element into the congregation Do you really think you want to do that? I see the need for this mission. I just don't know if I see it in the church. Well, where else do you need it? I gave him a couple of scriptures. You know, I've learned that these learned people, they don't like scripture very much. Mark 2, 16 and 17 And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with the publicans and sinners, they said unto the disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. 
I am not come to call the righteous. I'm not even come to call those who think they're righteous. That's, that's, for, that's the gospel according to Ralph Stewart. I, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. If you got a church full of well people, you're not doing your job. And I want you to know that revive operates under the auspices of the river. Thank God. And every Thursday night, I'm striving to get revived members to show back up here on Sunday morning. Because we do some great things in Revive. I have, I have a feeling in my soul. We had one got the Holy Ghost last Thursday night. Thursday night before, we baptized a family, a, a mother, a son, and the wife. They even wanted me to baptize their eight-month-old daughter. And I said, well, yeah, you know, we'll talk about that. <laughs> but... Um, but we do some great things, but it's a service unto itself, and it really does not satisfy the need. I don't want Revive to think that Thursday night is what all they need because they need what we get here in service on Sunday morning. And I thank you. I thank this congregation. When they do come, they are so welcome. And I'm telling you, that doesn't happen everywhere. doesn't happen everywhere. Amen, amen. I had a, I had a young lady. Well, she just, you know, she said, "I think it's about time we took the whip, and drove these some of these folks out of here." I see too much of this and too much of that, and I see too much of this and too. Yeah, you see too much. That's warning me. Time is fleeting. And I asked her, I said, dear, do you know that that was church people that he took the whip to? Brother William, thank you for that. Brother William preached that a couple of Sunday or so back. And what a message. If you haven't heard Brother William's message, you need to go hear that message. Brother William, that's a message that I'll, I'll, I'll the next time I do this, it'll, I'll be able to key that one in here. God's still preaching to me because that was a message to be heard. I said, Sister, you do know that was church people that he took the whip. Oh, I'll tell you what, I, uh, the church didn't start to the day of Pentecost. I said, You need to read further than Acts 2. Go over to Acts 7. Stephen said that the tabernacle was the church in the wilderness. And that's the church that set the tables up at the temple. At the same time that all this is taking place is when Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they were offended that he thought he could build this place back that it took them 40 years to put in place. But he wasn't speaking. The God of heaven walked up to them, and they looked beyond him at something they'd built with their own hands. Mm. Mm. One of the biggest things in dealing with revived people is getting them out of the mindset that 
I'm not good enough to do anything in the kingdom of God. 2 Kings 7 and 3. There were four leprous men at the entering of the gate, and they said one to another. And let me tell you this. It's a mindset. It's an epiphanal moment if you can get to it. Once you understand that I can do this, and no matter what anybody else thinks, this moment in time, this leper looked at the other three, and he said, why sit we here until we die? He said, let us get up and go to the camp of the enemy because there's plenty over there. And if we go over there, then we can, we can partake of that. The Jews teach this. I've never, now this is, I'm, I'm telling you what the Jews teach. They teach that that was Gehazi and his three sons. All were lepers. Gehazi was the body servant for Elisha who followed after Naaman, came back with the goods and wound up a leper, and his family became leprous. And they, the Jews teach that that's who that was. And these dirty, unclean, can't go to the temple, can't associate, can't be a part of anything because they are unclean. And if an, a clean person is approaching them, they have, to cover their, they have to cover their faces and say, I'm unclean, unclean, unclean. Because if, if you touch them, you become unclean. They went out. Those four lepers staggered across the way. God made four lepers sound like 100,000. And the Syrians said, "Woohoo!" and they left. Elisha had said the day before, uh, 7, 1 and 2, 2 Kings 7, 1. He said, hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. And the Lord of the gate, it said, uh, on whose hand the king leaned. He said, yeah, if there's windows in heaven tomorrow, this is the unbelieving believer if there be windows in heaven then might this thing be let me read that then a lord then a lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of god and said behold if the lord would make windows in heaven might this thing be and he said behold elisha said behold thou shalt see it with thine eyes but you shall not eat thereof the next day when it was cold, hey, the camp's open, but everything you ever thought you had wanted to eat is out there. It's there for the taking, and the crowd came rushing out of the city. They were starving, and they trampled that man in the gate, and he died there. Not too long ago, I had a, some, some of the Revive folks were posting, and we were passing a few comments online, on, and, and some gentleman came in, and he ripped us. Quit telling these people that he said, this, you're doing it all wrong. He spat out several different ways he thought it ought to happen. And these people are not going to, they're not going to, to you're, you're leading these people astray. I put that verse back to him as an answer. You're going to see it, Bo, but you can't have it. He pulled his post down. I think, he was, I think he decided that he didn't want to be on the wrong side of God. 
Amen, amen. I'm going to get through here. I'm closing. Come on, Brother William. I'm going to skip some of this. I do want to say this. In the Old Testament, if the unclean touched the clean, the clean became unclean. And then they'd have to go through their oblations at night. There's a whole bunch of things. You know, you, you know the, how the Old Testament worked. There's an inversion to that in the New Testament. In the New Testament, if the unclean has to get, the unclean has to get to the clean and touch the clean to be clean. And if the clean does not desire to be touched, they become unclean. Hear that from me. The unclean need to reach the clean. For when they touch the clean, they become clean. But if the clean does not desire to be touched by the unclean, they become unclean. Remember the woman with the issue of blood. If I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made clean. Brother Foster's son, I don't know his first name, he taught us at men's conference several years ago. Told a story, he runs a huge church in Dallas, thousands of people. And they had a, a drive for Sunday school. They got a bus route, bus ministry. And they spent the better part of a couple of months pushing a Sunday school drive, a Sunday school drive. They wanted this Sunday school drive. And, and the bus ministry was really into it. And God was moving in their prayer meetings. And they were working in the highways and the byways. And it came the Sunday that they were going to kick it off. And they sent all the buses out. And they began to radio back to the pastor. Pastor, I'm full to capacity. And another bus, I got all I can carry. And these buses began to arrive back at the church. And just these hordes of children and young people with their runny noses and, and the clothes they had slept in for the last three or four days. Here they come through the doors into the foyer. And there's, it's, a, it's a mob. And in the foyer stood one of the sedate, high-ranking members in the church. A gentleman who owned his own business was very, very well off and had contributed millions into this ministry that he was in. As he stood there, this mob of young people scuffed his shoes and brushed against him. And when they cleared out, he turned to the pastor, Foster, and he said, Reverend, you got a decision to make here today. It's either them or me. Either they go or I'm going. Be careful. Be careful. Brother Foster said, I didn't answer the man. I just turned and left. And he said, we lost. He went away and I really don't know where he's at. What's the hardest thing about Revive? 
and I'm going to be through here. What's the hardest thing about Revive? It is working with someone for 10, 30 days, two, three months, six months, and then to hear that they have gone back. Two years ago tonight, I was dying with COVID. God miraculously healed me. They thought I was dying, and I'll have to tell that story some other time, but I went sound dead asleep. I, I put my phone reading to me, John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And I went sound dead asleep. I woke up over 10 hours later, and I knew I was going to live. And, but while I was in that state, a little lady out of our recovery group posted online, pray for Brother Ralph Stewart. A year ago last April, she was an overdose death. That will rip your heart out. Somebody posted it up, told me, hey, go look. You'll remember her. And when I saw her picture, I remembered her as being the little lady who had posted a prayer request for me. This is my prayer today. Give me the heart of Jehoshaphat. In the days of the death of King Ahaziah, his mother, Athaliah, ordered the slaughter of all the seed royal of the king because she wanted to be queen. And they went into the house of the king's sons and they slaughtered them. But Jehoshaphat, the wife of the priest, who was also the aunt to these children, she said in her heart, Surely... They are not all dead. And she went into the rooms of the dead and she searched and she found a live baby. It was Joash. And she took him and hid him in the house of the Lord. Mm. That's what we're doing. You can stand. That's what we're doing in Revive. We're searching. There's people who have written the culture off. But we in Revive and this church as a whole, we are searching in the rooms of the dead because somebody is still living. He has not killed them all. I've learned to love just about everybody. You know, you just, y'all can come on, Brother Jackson, Brother Jason. Y'all come on. God, he didn't call anyone. And my final thought tonight is remember this. You remember Zacchaeus? Now, they, we as Pentecostals turned that into a children's story, and we used to sing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. You remember that song we sang to you know why the devil wanted us to turn that into a children's song? Because there's a powerful, powerful message there. The people who love the Lord blocked Zacchaeus' view of God. And he had to go down the road and find him a tree 
because he wanted to see Jesus. Now, he was a rotten, no good, thieving tax collector, had enriched himself, stealing people's taxes. He could be the head of an IRS department today. When Jesus got to that tree because he desired to see him, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house with you, buddy. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, there's, there's a lot of good. Well, let's just let me tell you this. I, I told this recently in one of our services, but I had a, a school teacher told me this years ago, and I memorized it. There's enough good in the worst of us and enough bad in the best of us that we shouldn't have much to say about the rest of us. Amen. Hey, meet people where they are. Let them know that you know Jesus Christ. Let them know that you have an answer for their, their predicament. And I promise you, if you are seeking the lost, the lost are going to come looking for you. God bless you. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down.